For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, your two favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. (laughs) Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, I have to admit, of late, our shows have been rather heavy, rather, Mm. you know, serious. Yeah, somber. The question is, are we making anybody happy? And what makes you happy? And is happiness the be-all and end-all of life? That's a great question. Yeah. Mark. What yeah. do you think? I mean, <laughs> well, I was we just, only got an hour. Right, right. Well, I was just I was just seeing a meme on uh, on Twitter that was the it was it was talking about the meaning of the colors on the German flag, right? So the, oh, uh, okay. the you know the, the the black, red, and yellow, and the the black stands for work, the red stands for work, the yellow stands for work. <laughs> and there the, you go. And, and the blue on the flag stands for humor. Right. <laughs> Wait a minute. There is no blue right, on the German exactly. flag. <laughs> exactly. There you go. But, you know, Germans Germans tend to be happy. Just, you know, I, th- I think any nationality, you look around and you can say, well, you know, there's something about that nationality that they, they tend to be happy even if you don't see it. And, and yeah, I mean, happiness, that's a, it's a great question. It's a serious question. It, it might not sound like a serious question, but it's a serious question. Happiness sounds is, rather contradictory. It does, yeah. But but happiness is a serious question because you know our ethics. Um, you go back to Aristotle. Um, you go back, you know, maybe even to Plato. Um, and happiness is kind of the the end all be all of ethics, right? Um, you know, seems all, to be what it's aiming at. Yeah. Well, Aristotle kind of starts and ends with the the proposition that all men desire to be happy. So. Right. Um, if you don't understand what happiness is, um, you really don't have anything from which you can start looking at virtues, looking at ethics, looking at sort of how we come to a conception of the good life for human beings. Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great way to kind of open up this conversation. The uh, yeah, the so so Aristotle writes this book, and I've heard it pronounced different ways. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I. I've changed the way I've pronounced it over time. I'm now I'm now saying Nicomachean ethics. That, that's the correct way. Yeah. It's, it's the okay. Nicomachean see, I got one right. Yeah. Right, yeah good. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, so so that's Aristotle writing a book to his son, really about you know what what does it mean or what ought you to do in order to live the best life possible, and living the best life possible aims at happiness. And and like you said, um, happiness is something people desire or want or uh, a goal and they want it for its own sake they don't want to be happy for the sake of something else it's not a means to something else it uh according to aristotle and others it's it's the it's the uh, end in and of itself right and and the good life the um you know ethics the 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 whole idea of of living rightly for aristotle is the art of Living a happy life, so it's the art. Yes, of, of, yeah, that's of, a good way to put it. The, uh, the art of living yeah. a way that. So this is going to involve ethics, morality, 
Uh, would you say ethics and morality are interchangeable terms? I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a, a difference there because I think morality has a connotation of almost always being rules-based. Okay. And ethics doesn't necessarily always have to be rules-based. So okay. when, when I think of morality, I think of a, a rules-based code where ethics, I think of more along the lines of, yeah, more of an art, honestly. Um, so, mm. you know, you, you look at arts and sciences, sciences is a broad based, you know, sort of body of knowledge. And an art is a set of skills. It's a set of, of, uh, you know, techniques, Techniques. right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a way of doing something. So I think of ethics more along the lines of doing, and I think of, of morality more along the lines of a set of rules. I, here's where I make it. I'll, I'll make a distinction. I think more, uh, morality, people use the term morality more as it pertains to one's own code of, of right and wrong, one's value system of right and wrong, and the, the action decision making go along with that. And ethics, we tend to we tend to use one more as a, an academic term, but also more institutionally. So you think of like a code of ethics. You you don't one doesn't speak of one's own personal code of ethics per se. You'd speak about your own morality. A code of ethics would be like at a place of employment or, or something right, like right. healthcare no, ethics. Yeah, legal ethics, which right, that, that can right, on, right. honestly sound like a contradiction in terms, well. but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so you've got you're you're right. You've got ethics as a, a broader connotation than just morality. So morality might be more of a subset of ethics. Yeah, or where where it's located. But all right, well let's let's keep going though on yeah, happiness. You know now now Aristotle, if if we're starting with Aristotle, Aristotle goes through a list, a laundry list of um, different things that don't necessarily make you happy. Mm-hmm. So, and, and they're the things that I think we get from Sunday school class for the most part, or, or from 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 CCD. Um, you know, we we get you know that that money doesn't make you happy. Um, you know that um, in in the end, let's see what else does he go through? He goes through wealth. Um, honor, honor. Yeah, that's right. Honors from other people. Right. So, so public acclaim mm-hmm. that doesn't make you happy. Fame doesn't make you happy. Um, all of those things don't in the end make you happy because, and, and here's the kicker. Most of those are dependent on other people. Right. Right. And the other thing with that is most of those are fleeting. They, they kind of come and go. So, um, and, and like a good birthday party, right. And, it comes and goes. Yeah. And, and this is the, this is the first, I think, you know, honest sort of solid question that arises with that is, is happiness something that really is fleeting? You know, we, we, we use the term happiness and Aristotle insists that it has some, has to be something that's long lasting and permanent. But I think most of us, when we use the word happiness, we're not really thinking of something long-lasting and permanent. We're, we're thinking of kind of a temporary enjoyment. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be the—that's almost a, a metaphysical difference, right? I think for Aristotle, um, one—he he, locate—I he, think what he means by—the way you become happy, I'll, I'll say that, is you become a certain kind of person. Who? What, what kind of person is that? Well, it's a person who's lived, you know, the best life possible, given one set of circumstances, the choices one's been making, um, that the innate talents and gifts and potential and actually becoming. And I think that I would sum it up by saying when you become the person you ought to be, that's when you are happy. And it's a life he, he so I think I think in English, you actually you translate the Greek that he uses, and yes, it can be translated as happiness, but it also can be translated as like 
uh, blessedness, or we might even say as Catholics, holiness. So we think of saints. Saints attain a kind of uh, happiness or blessedness or holiness not because they have the temporary uh, emotional elation, but rather because they've become who they ought to be, which is, for Catholics, it's going to be located in the divine will. Right, and and he actually uses the same Greek word in there. Oinomena, um, I think. So, no, it's um, it's Matercon, I think, when, when he's talking about happiness, I think. I, I'd have to go back well, and we'll look at it We'll check it on the break. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll look at it again. But if, if it is that word, that's the same word that's used blessed in the Beatitudes. Um, yeah, see, yeah, so see, the, the blessed are so yeah the, the the blessedness you know the other the other sort of more contemporary translation I've seen that, that tries to get to that more long lasting state is human flourishing so I think a, a lot oh, of oh yeah flourishing have, we have that yeah, a lot, yeah yeah a lot of people have brought up that idea of of flourishing I don't think that quite I don't think that flourishing quite gets to the idea of of happiness or blessedness or, or, and there's, there's a certain amount of fortune too involved in it, you know, sort of fortunate is sort of a, a I guess a Latin takeoff on it a little bit, but um, there's a certain that, amount that's of a County of Providence, I think. Yeah, exactly. Extent. Well, there's something outside mm-hmm. of your control involved in it a little oh, bit. Oh, in all of our lives. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm not sure Aristotle would necessarily agree with that. Cause I think he would think, you know, no, Happiness is completely within our control, which, you know, I think that's sort of an alarming, an alarming aspect of happiness, too. You um, you can you can choose. I mean, my mom always said this. You can choose to be happy or not be happy. You can control. Well, that's that. almost like choose it. Well, that's how happiness has like many different, I, I guess, terms or ways in which we use it. Like in that case, like your mom, like you were just sharing your mom use it. I, I heard that, too, growing up. That to me is more like you're choosing an attitude. And that's not what Aristotle's talking about. I mean, so you can choose to be happy, meaning I can choose a positive attitude. I might be happy because I'm experiencing uh, the, uh, you know, a fulfillment, a wish fulfillment or fulfillment of a, a of a need. And so I feel happy about that. But again, I don't think that's what Aristotle's getting at. I think he's getting at more, again, the the ontological. There's a, there's a kind of change in your being in that you're, you've become someone. So I, I also don't think, as I read Aristotle, you really don't become happy in that sense of the word until you've lived a long life because it takes a lifetime to see, to be able to look back over the arc of your life and see, did you really make the most of your opportunities? Did you really strive to reach your full potential? Did you really, uh, did you practice the virtues or grow in virtue? We would say grow in virtue and holiness. And this is why people are never, like in the Catholic Church, they're never canonized while they're alive. Right, right. You know, Aristotle reiterates Solon's, um, you know, Solon's pronouncement there. So, you know, the, the story goes that, that King Croesus, who's, you know, he's still counted as one of the richest men ever to have lived. He was the uh, the king of Lydia. Okay, the um, Zuckerberg of his time. Right, exactly. He had, uh, yeah, 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 very much so. He had... Um, 
he had encountered Solon. So Solon's one of the, the, the nine wise men of Athens. Um, and, and he asked Solon, you know, ha ha, look at all my wealth. Look at how wealthy, who, who is the happiest man in the world. Right. And, um, you know, of course there's a little bit of, uh, of course you're going to acknowledge Solon that I'm the happiest. Right. And Solon points to a, like a shepherd couple, right? (laughs) These two shepherds that they'd recently died. They lived a good life. They'd had, you know, sons that, that went on to, to prosper. And he's like, you know, I think those are the, the two happiest people in the world. And, um, Chris is kind of like, well, what do you mean? You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm wealthy. I have everything. Why, why wouldn't you count me as one of the, the, the happiest people alive? And, and he says, because you're still alive. You can't really count somebody's happiness until after they're dead because you don't know how they're going to die. You don't know how they're going to end. And, and sure enough, Croesus wound up, he, he lost his entire kingdom. King Cyrus from, from Persia came over, took oh, his whole kingdom, oh. enslaved him, made him a slave. And honestly, it saved his life because he was about to be executed. And he said something about, oh, gosh, Solon was right. And uh, King Croesus heard this and uh, said, Solon, you knew Solon. So he went on to, to make Croesus his, his advisor and uh, it spared his life. But, um, but yeah, there's something to that idea that you really can't count happiness until you've lived the full breadth of a life. And, and also, you know, how, how you kind of end your life. And what makes us happy is when you get the chance to listen to these messages on Catholic Radio Indy. We're taking a break and we'll be right back on the Catholic Cave. It might be the people. It could be the programming. But we think it's the God who made the people and inspired the programming. He's the best reason we can think of to keep coming back. Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. We're talking about happiness, and... Uh, you know, happiness is frequently related to joy and to elation and those types of things. But is happiness also the same as being contented? Ooh, good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I'm going I'm going to say they're not the same, but they can occur at the same time. Yeah, I think contentedness can be part of happiness. But here's the deal. I you you hear about this from occasionally from people that are in prison. Most for the for the most part it sounds like prison's a pretty miserable place. Um from from most accounts. Look, looks like it from the TV shows. Right. I've seen. But it's pretty bad. But you do hear you do hear some people say, you know, I get my my get my four square meals, I got a roof over my head, that's all I need, mm. I'm content. And I don't think anybody would anybody would decide that that person is saying that they're happy you know they're 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 content they're they, they've accepted their fate they, they've kind of accepted where they're at there there's no real struggle but i wouldn't necessarily say that person's saying well i'm, I'm happy here in prison they're just sort of content right i i think I, i'm going where you are i would say contentment to me i i would think that the definition for me would be 
and I didn't look this up, so I, I might be off compared to some dictionaries, but I would say contentment really is the, uh, it, it's a kind of satisfaction of needs, ba- both basic and maybe even more, some of the more uh, sophisticated needs that we may have. So there's a cessation of desire. So my desires aren't ruling me anymore. Uh, so I'm experiencing a kind of, so it's a kind of, I would say it's related to a kind of inner tranquility and inner peace. Right. And, and I will, I will say this Kent, that, um, I don't think you can be a malcontent and still be happy. So I think there's a, a part of happiness. Right. That I would you say do. you've disintegrated if you if right. you're experiencing that. But I think, I think you're exactly right. You know, contentment is sort of the, I've, I've sort of fulfilled my desires. I really, there's, there's not anything I really want. But happiness goes beyond that. And I think happiness by right. almost all accounts goes beyond that. Um, and I think that's one of the caricatures of Aristotle. Because we were talking about Aristotle um, before the break as sort of he started this whole discussion of... Nicomachean uh, ethics. Right, must exactly. Read. He, he started this whole idea of, of really the, the ethical life, the, the pinnacle of, of human life is, is happiness. We haven't questioned that, by the way. Maybe we should. But um, Well, I think we go beyond that as Catholics. So I think we find compatibility with that. But but he doesn't go far enough, right? Is how I would yeah read maybe it. maybe I I don't know I I think yeah anyway we we can come we'll we'll, we'll come back to that but yeah. um you know he 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 talks about that and the caricature is that well when he's talking about virtue because that's ultimately mm-hmm. what he says a happiness lies in virtue he's talking about a very moderate life because he he you know he does talk about you know the definition of virtue is moderation you don't go too far to one side or too far to the other right right but so the the caricature is that he's talking about a very just sort of contented stayed sort of um unexciting sort of life, you know, that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the virtuous life is the moderate life. It's the boring life. And, um, I don't think that's what Aristotle's saying at all. No, I don't think so either because one of the, uh, one of the virtues that he recognizes is, is fortitude or courage. And if you're, um, if you have that, the virtue of courage, you, I don't think you're going to be bored. I think you're going to find, you may find yourself in all kinds of situations right. where that comes in handy. And, and the highest civic virtue that he talks about is magnanimity, which, right. you know, magnanimity literally translates to great spiritedness. And it's that, um, it's that sort of virtue of, honestly, of, of being the, the big man about town, of, of being the, 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 the great-minded one that has not only your own needs in mind, but the needs of everybody else around and can fulfill them. So, I mean, there's almost a, a, a certain, like, only, only if you are wealthy. It doesn't say wealth makes you happy, but there's almost this, like, sort of a, a, an implication that you have to have a certain amount of wealth to be able to be happy. Yeah, it's, it's maybe tied a little bit to... Um, a kind of yeah, like magnanimity of of spirit is is tied a little bit to a kind of gen- a certain kind of generosity that you have the kind of resources at your disposal um, to make things better for other people, and you put your resources um, at the service of others. Now, now here's what I would say. And I want to get your 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 thought on this, Mark. Here's where I think things have gone. One of the ways in which things have gone astray in our current setting. I think that we that things have really re- been reduced to in many s- circumstances to we think along economic lines. So we think of the the person who's happy 
as the person who has the most wealth at their disposal. And I don't think that that's, that's not what Aristotle's talking about. He does, he does warn against deprivation. And, and I think he's right there that if, you're, if you are in abject poverty— uh, to meet basic needs around food, clothing, shelter, safety, um, it's it's very difficult to reach into other to uh, to reach your full potential because it's very difficult to flourish if you're if you're uh, at risk of starvation all the time because that that's your pressing priority. So he does talk about deprivation as a kind of impediment. So there is a mo- at least a modest amount of wealth one now wealth we you know we'd have to define like what amount that but but enough uh financial resources to meet one's basic needs that creates the space in which you can um acquire and practice these virtues right i mean wealth is one of the things that he um starts off talking about well wealth is not what makes you happy and and part of it Part of it is, um, you know, that it, that it's fleeting, that it, it can can be taken away. But part of it is that it, that it creates a certain amount of anxiety, right? I mean, if if you're concerned about your wealth, if you're concerned about how much money you're going to make, or or you're continually concerned about how much more you're going to make, it can lead to a pretty lead to a pretty miserable existence. Yeah, if it uh, becomes a preoccupation, exactly. If you get it, if you um, get your priority around it wrong, or obsess over it. Then, then all sorts of bad things can happen. Yeah, I think ultimately for Aristotle, it goes back to the, the kind of same answer that he has for just about everything. That it, it's moderation, right? It's it's having enough, it's, yeah, but not obsessing about it and not having so much that you're 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 concerned about it. But it's having enough to be able to be generous. I think you're you're right. Generosity and magnanimity. I mean, those are very similar. Um, similar ideas. I do think the I do think the notion of magnanimity has a little bit more oomph behind it. It has that that idea of impact, right? So um, not right. not only are you generous, but you're able to make an impact on society. You're able to contribute. You're able to 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 do something good for your fellow man. So there's a little bit of sort of oomph behind it. And um, I, I can give an example of an evil version of that. Okay, Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. So he was a guy who was, uh, yeah, he was kind of magnanimous in a certain evil sense, right? So he was sort of the he was the big man in town. Of course, he's a fictional character, but he, right. but but we've seen other. He is kind of a prototype of others, but but he was someone who had a kind of largesse that he was making things happen, certainly to benefit himself but also to kind of manipulate and orchestrate others. Right. And, and he wasn't doing it for the betterment of other people. He wasn't doing it out of a, a spirit of generosity. Right. I mean, he was, he was, well, he was throwing, he, I think he would see himself as sort of throwing pearls at swine at times, you know, and, patting himself on the back for that. Right. I mean, it was awful. Right. I mean, but I think he thought he was doing something for the, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that whole movie does revolve. I mean, the whole movie revolves around the notion of generosity. Right. Because, you know, George Bailey thought he was missing out. Right. He, he thought right. he was he thought he was living kind of a miserable life that wasn't worthwhile. And he finds out in the end that, no, he had lived magnanimously his whole life. I mean, he had been that that magnanimous presence within the town. Well, man, a great virtue. Exactly. Right. And, and but the height of that virtue was magnanimity. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. when you when you look at what magnanimity is, you're, that that's a great example, that movie of, of kind of what it is. And then in Mr. What Potter's, it's not. Mr. Potter's case, what I, it's not. Yeah, a great. A great example too. I love that movie. I know it inside. I've watched it a hundred times. 
I I love the the uh, just just you know he's get, he just gets married and they're about to go on their honeymoon and then you know the stock market crashes the depression you know it's a, it, it lights the fuse for the uh, the uh, the bomb of the d- depression's going off run on the banks and then what does he do he goes to the he notices there's a problem he's kind of real he's been you know scrimping and saving working so hard to to go on this big trip that he's always wanted to go on now with his new wife now and he does what they he winds up going to the to, to the family savings and loan and winds up taking all that money that he had saved up and basically shores up the to help everyone else out. Right, exactly. And then he's and left with what is it, the two dollars or something? Yeah. And they make the little joke about, hey, you guys need to multiply. Yep. You know, kind of yep. like a rabbit but, joke. But you know, I, I really, you know, going back to that movie too, it, it shows the other ingredient I think that Aristotle really brings to the fore as as far as happiness goes. And once again, he said I, I think he 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 kind of makes a good point. You know, you can't base your entire happiness on this, but you really can't have a happy life unless you have friends. Friendship is an important ingredient. Well, family. Yeah. He finds it in his family, in his family life. Right. And I think, you know, when, when you're talking about happiness in the contemporary context, um, you know, friendship often is the missing ingredient for a lot of people. It really is kind of a serious problem. Oh, more so now than ever. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, Especially with the pandemic. Yeah. Isolating everyone by being out of school, uh, working remotely. Yeah, very, very troublesome, I would say. Yeah, but even before the pandemic, um, you know, there were polls and there were, uh, you know, sort of studies that, that were showing just, I mean, how few people actually are able to cultivate the, those deep friendships or, or have, um, oh, sure. you know, have kind of a, a quality life of, of, of friends. And uh, it, it does seem to be sort of undervalued in our society to a certain extent. Well, we need to have uh, Dr. Kevin Vost back because he had he has a book on friendship that right. we've, we've talked to him a little bit about. We need to get him back. And, and Aristotle's, you know, Aristotle's including that in in um, happiness and in including that in the Nicomachean Ethics. Aristotle's an important part of Dr. Vost's book. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, I was going to say one one other thing because I know we're going to have to take a break here before too long. One of the in terms of this this idea of happiness and friendship. I, I was watching a Jordan Peterson um, interview, and one of the things I had noticed uh, that he shared that I thought was really important is he he notes that generally speaking, uh, you know, when you're a young person, you can make all kinds of sacrifices to um, to establish, say, your career. So you can forego, let's say, friendships. You can forego travel. You can forego lots of other um, social and, and family obligations to focus on building your career. But when you feel the when, when you may begin to feel some remorse or regret, if you overdo it, is this when you hit about your mid 40s, he says, that's when most people sort of there's this kind of change in perspective in that one begins to find the source of one's uh, let's call it happiness, one sort of sense of fulfillment is in one's most close and intimate relationships. And those are going to usually be found within the family. So if you have postponed or even chosen not to um, engage in family life um, with healthy relationships, 
It's not until you're about in your 40s that you begin to feel that, at least according to him. And I thought it was pretty insightful. Yeah, I think that's a that that that's an interesting observation, definitely. And um, yeah, I think there's something to that. I think a lot of people are able to find happiness um, out, you know, w- w- without families. I mean, you look at priests, you look at religious life, you look at the the other vocations other than marriage, and obviously people are able to find fulfillment and, and happiness within those other vocations. So I'm not, I mean, yes, I think you, you do have to find some sort of deep relationship with other people. Right. Um, but right. it doesn't necessarily always have to be within. No, family. he was just talking generalities. And I, I, I I'm not sure he even was acknowledging like uh, celibacy as a, as a, as a, kind of vocation and we need to take a break we'll be back with another look at happiness what is it and how do we find it you're listening to the catholic cave on catholic radio indy i know how important the message of hope that you guys give is it could be enough to make a miracle happen in someone else's life like it did for mine catholic radio indy Learn more about the Catholic faith in a fun, exciting way. It's Catholic Challenge 2.0. Test your Catholic knowledge with questions like this. In the 14th century, this city in France was the headquarters of the papacy. Was it Paris, Marseille, or Avignon? Answers to this and more with Catholic Challenge 2.0. Catholic Challenge 2.0 every Thursday afternoon at 4.30 on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. Timothy O'Donnell here with Mark Tuttle and our trusty sidekick, Kent Blanford. Hey, Mark, we've been talking about happiness. And in this segment, uh, let's let's advance the conversation and let's talk more specifically about virtue. That's a, that's a term we've used on this program, other programs. Listeners uh, have heard the term virtue but let's maybe define it because we're philosophers. We like our definitions. And then let's talk about what some of them might be and why they're important. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure the philosophical world still really does necessarily agree on a couple concepts with, with, with happiness. First off, definition of happiness. We can go back to Aristotle. It's a pretty trustworthy definition. I, I, th- I think he, he's got a pretty comprehensive understanding of, of what happiness really is. But I think there's some deficiencies there. Um, mm. And then on the flip side, you know, the idea that the ethical life, that the moral life is directed towards happiness, I'm not necessarily sure that it is. So I think we should, um, you know, kind of explore maybe both of those in this upcoming segment here. Okay, great. Where do you want to start? Well, let's, let's, let's start with the idea of that happiness alone is sort of the the end all be all of of moral and ethical life, um, and I think you know if you go back to the uh, it's a wonderful life. I think that's a that's a great movie for talking about ethics and for talking oh, about yeah. virtue and, and happiness. You know, George Bailey has lived a virtuous life, right? He, he he has lived that life of virtue, and he is so miserable he's about ready to throw himself off a bridge, <laughs> right? right? So, um, <laughs> so there there's some, well, he's caught up in a scandal though. Yeah, well. And, and, and that's putting some pressure on them. That is. But, you know, if you go back to Aristotle's understanding of the virtuous, you know, the, the, the virtuous man, he, he is it, right? He, he's lived it. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he knows he's virtuous. And yet 
it's doesn't not, make him pregnable, I guess. Right, to, exactly, to exactly. Despair, because he's, he's despairing. Right, exactly. And I, I mean, I guess Aristotle would come back and say, well, you know, despair is a type of a vice. So, um, you know, at that moment, he's not really living a virtuous life. I'm not so sure that that's, that's quite true. But um, but anyway, there, there seems to be something else involved in, in happiness. And I'm going to throw out two things. One of them comes from, I, I think, my... Uh, I, I think any discussion of ethics, you, you can't run away from Immanuel Kant. I, I think you have to go back to Kant when you're talking about ethics. Um, to, to get I should have known. Well, One of your unholy unholy trinity has surfaced yet again. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's Kant. T- Heidegger and Hegel. Yeah, those well, are the if <laughs> listeners don't remember. Those yeah. are Marx on Holy Trinity. Okay, well, go ahead, Kant. Okay, yeah. and I don't disagree. He's got a category. He's got ethic. He's got yeah, an ethical yeah. system, and, and categorical there, imperative. There, there's a couple of things that he throws into the throws into the mix that I think are, are really important. the The first is that idea that um, you know virtue alone doesn't lead to ethical action. Um, that there are some things that are just verboten. There, there are some things that are just completely, um, there are some actions that virtue doesn't describe, virtue doesn't touch, that are just completely beyond the pale. And He's I got think, rules. Exactly. He's and I think that's rules. one of the aspects of virtue ethics that, that you, you sort of fall down on a little bit when you look at, at happiness and ethics completely in the realm of virtue is you need those boundaries of there are just some things that are completely out of bounds. So I think that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is, is that, that self-knowledge and that self-awareness. You need to know that you're acting right. You need to have a certain amount of reason that what you're doing is right. That, and you have to be aware that, that your good life is, is, reasonable. Um, it has to have some, some, some context within a, a reasoned intellectual life. And I think that's where you get back to George Bailey. George Bailey was miserable because he didn't quite have that self-awareness to realize yet that he had lived an ethical life, that he had lived a, a virtuous life. And he had to have Clarence, the, the, the good angel, come down and show it to him that, no, indeed, you have lived virtuously. Once he had that awareness and that, that knowledge that, that he had lived virtuously, then he was able to find happiness. Now, Kant does not base his his ethical system. I think this is where he would strongly, you know, disagree with Aristotle as well. That happiness is not the end all be all of um, of ethical life. You know, for uh, for for Kant, it's it's fulfilling your duties and obligations. He's one of those good old Germans that doesn't recognize the blue stripe. <laughs> he might on even the flag. be Prussian. He might even be Prussian, which might make him even more. Uh, uh, precise in, right. that, in that way of But thinking. there's a lot of the ethical life, the moral life, that doesn't make you happy. Um, that, that That is a duty. That, that is. And I mean, you look at Jesus's life and you go, well, was that a happy life? I don't know. Um, you know, was that a fulfilled life? Yes. Would we call that happy? I don't know. I'm not sure that you could call that life a happy life. Well, that that's a that yeah. I might get into that in a second. I want to go back to uh, George Bailey though. Um, so with George Bailey, I I've come to believe that the the one of the things he that has that that the resolution of the movie at the end of the movie, um, and you were touching on this a little bit is throughout his life. I think he what's depicted is. He had a he had a com- competing. 
he had a, a kind of internal com- competition between what he had from a very young age envisioned uh, what his life was going to be like and how he was going to be like an architect or a civil engineer and he was going to build skyscrapers. He was going to tra- uh, travel the world. And I don't think he ever really relinquished um, that that sort of dream of of what he uh, saw for what his life was going to be like or what he wanted his life to be like. And it was so it was always kind of it was always kind of still there. And so when he lit, so as he as as these circumstances emerge, he finds himself, you know, again, making making really good choices. But the choices don't lead him to in the path that he had thought he was going to go and that he wanted to go down. So when we are and I think this is this is how one this this is part of practicing virtue that one has to uh, often fight against or subordinate, especially in the moment, against one's wants and desires for the sake of something better. And I think, uh, so when I think, and I think that's what he does all along the way. And so bit by bit by bit uh, throughout the movie, he's making good choices um, that uh, align him with the kind of person he ought to be. But the person he ought to be doesn't isn't the person he thought he it's not the way he thought life was going to turn out and it's not until the very end because his life's unfolded and he sees the the good that he he's accomplished um with with others by these choices that he he comes to that realization yeah i think something that gets at that is these surveys that you hear about the the these sort of um surveys for, for general happiness. And, and so you'll, you'll have people that are do these large scale polls to kind of try to get a happiness factor for various countries. I mean, that's where you get the idea that like the Finns and the Swedes are the happiest people on earth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) are, are these generalized surveys and the, the way they ask the question is not in terms of happiness, but it's in terms of satisfaction a lot of Mm -hmm. times. So, you know, are you satisfied with your life or are you unsatisfied? And, and you're right. There was a certain dissatisfaction in George Bailey because his life hadn't matched the vision that he had early on. So he had a vision for where his life was going to go and it went in a totally different direction. And so he was dissatisfied because it didn't match up with the goals until, you know, Clarence was able to kind of, I think, rearrange his, uh, rearrange his, yeah, and he was kind of able as, to let go of that of that right. uh, that dream that he had had for for what his life was going to be like. He finally was able to 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 let it go and, re- and reconcile that with who he had become. Right, right. So there's a certain amount of satisfaction, and part of that satisfaction comes from self awareness. It comes from recognizing who who you are and who you were created to be, and and that I think is also kind of another aspect of Aristotle. I don't know that you can quite accuse Aristotle completely of neglecting this because I think it's built into the system a little bit. But happiness is a very personalized thing. There's not a one-size-fits-all definition for happiness necessarily. You know, I think Aristotle, if you look at it in terms of virtue, you would say each of us has a different set of virtues, a different set of circumstances, a different life path that the different virtues are going to play in at different points. And so living that virtuous life is, yeah, it's going to look a little different for each of us, but it's still the same essential ingredients, I think, is how Aristotle would answer it. 
but we all do have our own individual callings, right? We all have that, that sort of sense of a person that God made us to be that we have to live up to. And that's going to be very individualized one person to the other. Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah, the particular living out there, there's going to be, yeah, the uh, unique circumstances to be sure. Um, but, but I also think you were touching on this. I also think though, uh, when we think about like the cardinal virtues, right, which are temperance, prudence, justice, and fortitude, those, those are, uh, those are universal. Those are now how one, how advanced one is in each of those, you know, that's obviously going to, that's going to vary or, or the, how one exercises virtues in particular circumstances, uh, is going to be very can be very different as well uh, that we find ourselves in, but I but I think that's why also Aristotle points us to, and this is also very compatible I think with Catholicism, it to exemplars. So exemplars, which you might just I think common parlance might be a role model. So it's important that we have in mind a role model of of someone who is living a virtuous life or is exhibiting a virtue or virtues that we want to, um, also, also have. And, you know, for Catholics and many others, um, it's, uh, it's canonized saints, you know, that's why we study the lives of the saints because they are, and no two saints are alike, right? They're all very, very different. And yet they all have in common, what the uh, lives of virtue and holiness. And with that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of an ex- an examination of happiness. Here on the Catholic Cave, you're listening to Catholic Radio Indy. A deadline, great expectations, daily pressure, occasional failure. When God is with you, feel free to say, bring it on. Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, What's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Take Catholic Radio Indy's 40 Days of Lent Challenge. During Lent, listen to at least one hour of Catholic Radio each day. If you're already a daily listener, add an hour each day or pick a different time to listen. Or, if you really want to go all in, listen exclusively to Catholic Radio Indy from now until Easter. Spend 40 days with Catholic Radio Indy and see what a difference 100% Catholic programming 24-7 makes. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Duddle here with Timothy O'Donnell and Kent Blanford, and uh, we are talking about the uh, the very serious subject of happiness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, Is and, that the same as giddiness? Right. But you you were saying before the break that um, sort of the, the moral education, one of the ways to, to kind of understand ethics, understand virtue, which happiness 
you know, going along with Aristotle a little bit, happiness does involve the virtuous life. There's no doubt about that. Um, but one of the ways is to look at the lives of the saints, right? To, to read the lives of the saints. And, um, and I would, I would even expand that to, to biographies in general, just reading the mm. lives of other people, literature, even fictional literature, all of these go into our moral education because they all teach us, um, sort of, they, they, they give us a, an example, um, of a vice and virtue that we can oh, we Dostoevsky. Can yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you, you, and, and like I said, you know, literature, fictional literature too, because in a, in a biography, you're looking at lived experience, right? You're looking mm-hmm. at, but in a fictional work, you can take a character and they're more in a laboratory setting. So you can put mm. this character to two extremes and you can test this character in extreme ways in different circumstances. And that's kind of why literature works a little bit um, is because now you're taking a character and you're seeing what happens when you put them mm. in a state of war. Or, Brother Karamazov or, 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 Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. When they're accused of a crime or when you have a family that, that's being disgraced, um, you can kind of test their virtues and vices by, um, by, by putting them th- that way. But... Um, but there's a big difference between, I think, um, biographies of, of sort of secular heroes, you know, reading about George mm-hmm. Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson and looking at, at some of the heroic people in the past. Um, there's a big difference between that and looking at the lives of saints. And I think it gets to sort of a, a, a big difference in understanding between happiness that we as Catholics have versus the rest of the world has. And that is that we recognize that life involves suffering necessarily. And the oh, avoidance yeah. of suffering doesn't always lead to happiness, right? And, and not only that, but um, it, we're, we're not necessarily going to find complete and total happiness here on earth. Right. That's a, yeah, I would say it's, yeah, it's not possible to find complete and total happiness on this earth. I mean, that's that's what heaven's for, right? That's where we're going to have the right. completion of the journey. But I, I think that what you're talking about is like when you look at, like, say, um, biographies that have a, a secular perspective or object of their of the biography, um, who that person is makes a big difference in terms of what their belief uh, beliefs were, uh, their religiosity, because— um, we talked about it a little bit recently in a recent show. I think one of the most decisive, if not the the, mo- the most decisive uh, question one can ask oneself and answer is, does God exist? And how you yes or no or not sure makes a big difference because a lot flows from that. Mm-hmm. And same with whether or not one, become, one becomes a Catholic or not, because the Catholic Church has found the truth. And so, and the truth is a person, it's Jesus Christ. And so that is a definitive source of wisdom and way to live one's life. That living, living as a disciple of our Lord is the most excellent way to live. And so when you think about, so therefore it, we will achieve the purpose uh, for which God has uh, put us, uh, created us for, when we align ourselves with His His perfect and holy will, right, and, and we're striving to do that. Yeah, but before there was the term Christians to describe what we now know as Catholicism or Christianity, it was referred to as the way. 
And I think that's very, I think that's oh, very telling. Yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. very telling because, yeah, the, you know, we we follow Catholicism because it is a a pathway that we do think ultimately leads to happiness. But um, with Catholicism, you have those three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and that hope mm-hmm. is very important because we recognize that our ultimate happiness is not going to be found here on earth. Um, with, with hope, right. we, we have that recognition that, that our happiness is found um, in a life with God that both encompasses both heaven and earth, right? So, so heaven and earth are, are sort of combined into one, and our happiness involves a life with God that uh, kind of transcends the, the, the sorrows and, and difficulties that we face here on earth. Yeah, you, you brought up a, good, a really good point. There, there is no way around suffering. We're, we're going to experience suffering. And so what, what, the, what the Catholic faith offers is a way in which you can understand the meaning of suffering. Um, and in a way that other belief systems, I'll call them, other ways of being in the world— S- simply don't measure up. Right. Yeah, you know, Viktor Frankl, um, I think, adds that oh, element yeah. of, of meaning mm-hmm. and, and the, the necessity of, of meaning to life. And he means meaning in a much more mundane sense, I think, than sort of the ultimate meaning that comes from faith, hope, and charity. Uh, you know, he, I think, meaning for him, I think, is just making sense of things. Um, but that ability to, well, not only make sense of things, but that ability to recognize your place within it and sacrifice yourself for the good of others leads to happiness and uh you know he was a concentration camp survivor and so yeah i read his 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 book on that right exactly but he talked about you know it it was that lack of meaning that senselessness that was really what what overwhelming and then people exactly that that led to people succumb to the horrific and and it was the difference and violence yeah Yeah. it was the difference between survival and not survival was was recognizing and, and having something to live for that that added meaning to to the suffering that that you were undergoing yeah so you know for the um for the for the christian i would say I, i'm going to make a book recommendation i would always do that but um there's there was a, a a very very great um dominican um name and i i don't know if i pronounce his name right or not because it's french but it's like cerveis pinkers and he uh, has a there's a book that's available uh, called Sources of Christian Ethics and it's excellent and it's a, it's really the book is really mu- much like a lot of um, Pope Benedict stuff uh, earlier stuff as, as when he's Cardinal Ratzinger um, it's a col- it was a collection of his lectures that he gave on on moral theology that were then these lectures were kind of put together assembled into a book that I actually read that at Franciscan University in an in, in an ethics class, and it was really really good. But in there, um, one of the things that you discover, and I know something you and I wanted to bring up here in this last segment, is there's you, you think of like in sacred scripture that you, there's Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament from a, a, a more, and this is a, a, a great simplification. But we think about the moral life as God's people. We have the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, as as the guidepost, right? That God's there are some things that are just that are required of us uh, to do or not to do, and then in the New Testament, it's the what? It's the new law of love that's really fa- exemplified where 
in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, the high point is what? The Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes are a way that even go transcend the Ten Commandments on how we ought to live in this world. Right. And, you know, the Beatitudes offer us a a table of virtues of, of sorts, but it's a different table of virtues than I think you would find in the Nicomachean Ethics, right? I mean, it's a Right, it's superior. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> a but different it, and better. Yeah, but, yeah, it, it, it is not. And, and you know, I think, I think St. Thomas Aquinas, that, you know, he certainly didn't want to throw Aristotle under the bus. He was— kind of Aristotle's champion to a certain extent. Oh, yeah, he calls him um, the philosopher throughout the right. cinema. Um, you know, he would kind of, I think he would sort of thread this needle by by saying, you know, look, you can find a certain amount of happiness, and to a certain extent, you have a duty to seek out um, a certain amount of happiness here on Earth, but your ultimate happiness is going to be found um, in the other world. And that's really how the Beatitudes interplay with this set of sort of secular virtues, um, like courage and fortitude and, and, uh, you know, the cardinal virtues that we talk about. Um, that's how they play out is that those allow us a certain amount of happiness on earth, but it's really the theological virtues and the virtues as they're exemplified in the Beatitudes that lead to our ultimate happiness with God. Yeah, which is which is union with God. I agree, but but again, happiness. Just to be clear, I think what Aquinas is talking about, though, and if you're hopefully, I'm, I think I'm reading you right. I think what Aquinas is saying about happiness, though, it's not the the fleeting emotional, you know, positive emotional state. He's the the happiness that I think Aquinas is talking about. Who, yes, draws heavily from Aristotle, but also Augustine, Saint Augustine of Hippo. Um, is this notion that we we are beco- we ought we should be striving to become the the person we ought to be, and that's the person God created us to be. And so we're going from, uh, in in a sense, we're going from who we are today to um, becoming. I like this phrase by Matthew Kelly: the best version of ourselves. Okay. That's what God has in mind, right? There's a lot of different versions of me. You can ask my wife. Sometimes uh, I'm the guy who doesn't pick his uh, wet towel up off the ground, you know? Right. <laughs> but other times I do. And uh, But, of course, that's a silly example. But there's just uh, there's a journey that we're, we're called to. Um, and the way that we—and this is why we—it's such a treasure to be a Catholic, because we have the lives of the saints— we have sacred scripture, we have teachings of Holy Mother Church, and of course we have what? The sacraments. Right, but I, I think that that best version of yourself has to be seen in terms of image and likeness of God. And ultimately we see that image and likeness of God best exemplified on the crucifix, right? It's that, that self-sacrificial love that God has made each of us for that really does come out to be the best version of ourselves. And with that, we're going to take a look at uh, other subjects down the road. If you have a suggestion, give us a call here at Catholic Radio Indy. We'll be more than happy to uh, take a look at those. In the meantime, I just want to think, you know, happiness, it's not a destination. It's a road. And we're all traveling on it together. And so each morning I start my day with this simple prayer. Lord, I give this day to you, for you have given it to me. Make me worthy of the gift. Bless my efforts, forgive my failings, and guide me in the ways that lead to you and heaven. Amen. And with that, we wrap up the Catholic Cave for this week. 
For Mr. Mark Tuttle, for Timothy O'Donnell, I'm Kent Blanford. Until next time, try to be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy. Please support the businesses that you hear as underwriters here on the station.